We talk about vision. I just want to remind you, uh, vision is so, so important to have a dream to sort of know where you're going with your life. I, I had a handout on vision. I read the whole thing last week. I actually brought copies today if you want it. Uh, so you can get it in the table in the front or the back. But just the first paragraph, just to remind you, everyone ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. Those are the ones with vision. Without a clear vision, odds are you'll come to the end of your life and wonder. Wonder what you could have done. Wonder what you should have done. And like so many, you may wonder if your life really mattered at all. The good news is that uh, God wants to give us a vision for our life. And uh, God wants our lives to matter, certainly in a great way. You know, uh, a few years ago, I believe there was a car company. They may still be running these commercials. They says, life is a journey. Enjoy the journey. Right? I don't know. I think that's one of the car commercials. But anyway, a lot of people talk about that. Enjoy the journey. Life is a journey. Enjoy the journey. And uh, I... Certainly subscribe to that. I think that's awesome. I think that's important. I think we should enjoy the journey. It's just important that we know where we're going. You need a destination. You know, and I think so many of us are trying to enjoy the journey, but we don't really know where we're going. You know, uh, it's really important to know where you're going. And uh, we're talking about that, of course, spiritually as well as in our life. Interesting uh, personal thing that uh, to be able to share. Uh, road trips are fun. And a lot of times with a road trip, you, you just start out and you get in the car and you sort of got a general idea where you're going and how long you're going to be gone. But you don't maybe you don't totally know. Right. Well, I have a very extreme example of that. Uh, a few years ago, my son, David, uh, set his uh, his mother down and me. He was about 21 years old then, and he explained that he wanted to go on a road trip. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So we asked him uh, what he was planning to do. He says, well, I'm, uh, I would like to, to go hitchhiking. His uh, mother was immediately excited about that. And uh, what I want to do is I want to start on, uh, I would like for you to drop me on the PCH in Santa Monica, and I'm going to go north. And we said, son, do you know where you're going? Nope, nope, just going to go north. Uh, What are you going to do? You know, whatever. Um, How long are you going to be gone? Oh, you know, I don't know, two, three months. Uh, How much money you got? I got about $100. Isn't that dangerous? Well, I'm going to keep a knife in my boot. That was really encouraging. That... That made all the difference. Well, you know, your hundred dollars, that's great. I'm not thinking that's going to last long. I mean, you know, I mean, you can't even stay in a hotel. I mean, what are you going to eat? He goes, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to make friends along the way. And, uh, you know, a a, a friend is just a stranger you've never met. You haven't met yet. And uh, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to have this adventure. Um, I know this would be surprised you. His mother and I tried everything possible to talk him out of this. And a lot of you know that he ended up going. And the good news is he was gone for about three months, 
had a fantastic adventure and left with a hundred dollars. And, you know, he worked some along the way and just picked up odd jobs here and there. I don't know. He went to Northern California, Washington, Oregon, probably places he didn't tell me. Uh, anyway, he came back with eighty seven dollars. <laughs> he came back in one piece. I should have said this before. Teens just forget everything I've just said. Okay? I was supposed to say that beforehand. Teens do not listen to this part of the story. Of course, if I'd have said that, then they would have listened even more. We know how you are. Anyway, you know, the thing about it was, as crazy as that sounded, it actually was a good uh, experience for David. And, and it, it made more sense. I mean, it didn't make Mary Kay and I... Per- particularly more, less anxious or more happy about it. But he sat down and explained to us. He goes, look, mom and dad, I love you guys. I'm 21 years old. I've lived in my house all your life, all my life. And, and I need to figure out whether I can make it on my own. I need the confidence. I don't have the, I need the, I need to put myself in a situation where I can use the life skills that you've taught me and settle it once and for all for myself that I can exist for a period of time without you. And I mean, he even went so far as to say, so, well, you know, you've got your cell phone. And so, uh, you know, we hope we could talk to you regularly. No, I don't think I'll be calling. And I don't know, did he, did he, did he call some? About two times in three months. His mother, this is PTSD right here. His mother is still, I sent her into a tailspin right now. And, 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 and honestly, I guess as a dad, maybe it's normal. I had a lot easier time with the trip than she did. Um, she, you know, I dropped David off on the PCH in Santa Monica. Uh, she refused to come. Um, you know, it was just it's a very difficult time. But, you know, the thing about it was, even though there wasn't a physical destination, there was a vision that he had. There was a dream that he had, and it was important for him that he could figure out if he was capable of living life on his own without his parents. And I'm not sure, again, I don't recommend this plan. I said it twice now. I'm looking at you, Albert. I see what you're dealing with here. But there was a... There was a dream that did serve a purpose. And I think that's what I want all of it. And it was a crazy dream. And Nehemiah's dream was a crazy dream. But I want everybody here. We don't have to have the same dream. God forbid that we would have the same dream. God doesn't want us to have the same dream. But we all need to have a vision. We all need to have dreams of things that we want to accomplish for God. Spiritual dreams. Not just dreams to be successful in our career, and that's fine. And, uh, you know, maybe you're dreaming of having a job, uh, being able to pay the bills. But there's more to life than that, ultimately, isn't there? I suppose spending your whole life chasing green rectangular pieces of paper with dead presidents on it <laughs> is a dream. But I'm not sure it's a dream that's going to fulfill you. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. God wants us to have spiritual dreams so that we can make a difference in our life. I heard an illustration this last week. 
three men working on a construction site. All of them just with a sledgehammer and breaking up rocks. Somebody came by and asked the first man, what are you doing? I'm breaking up rocks. Came and asked the second man, what are you doing? I'm doing a job. They asked the third man, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral. I think we know where we want to be, right? We want to be the people that are building something with our lives and with our church. Let's look over in Nehemiah as we continue our story. If you're here last week, this will be a little bit of a repeat, but there's there's four numbers that I want you to remember that will help you put the story of Nehemiah in context. First of all, I mentioned last week, Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah was the last recorded history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. If you didn't know that, what had happened was the first number, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. The first number I want you to remember is 140 years. That's how long ago it was that because of the sin of the Jewish nation, God's people, he raised up the Babylonians to discipline them and to punish them. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was, the walls of the city were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And most of the people were taken off into exile in Babylon. 140 years ago. The second number is 90 years. 90 years before this, the Persians had conquered the Babylonians and they became the rulers. But the Persians were much more accommodating to their people there. And they began to allow and encourage the Jewish people to go back home and to rebuild their lives. But the sad thing was that many of them were so comfortable in their life that most of them didn't go back. Some did. The third number is 70. Anybody remember last week what 70 years was? That was how long ago. 140 years was the captivity. But thank you, Carly. Again, good to have you back. Uh, 70 years ago, before, was when the temple had rebuilt. So some of the people had come back and they rebuilt the temple. But the walls were still down. Nothing significant spiritually had happened. And the other thing that I maybe didn't mention was 12 years. 12 years ago, or before this time, Ezra had gone there with a specific purpose of rebuilding, restoring the people spiritually. And he had tried, and you can read about that in the book of Ezra, the one right before Nehemiah. But nothing significant had happened. So this is a long history of doom and gloom, right? And then our uh, then Nehemiah comes on the story. Let's read chapter one again, and we will finish chapter one today. And this is how it all begins. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. That meant he was, although he was a Jewish slave, a Jewish exile, he had an important position. He was the food taster, the wine taster for the uh, king in the palace. Not quite as glorious as it sounds because uh, the whole point of his job was to make sure that the food wasn't poisoned. So you can understand it would be a pretty awesome job, except if you got poisoned and died that day. Anyway, 
the words of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's in city in Persia, Hanina, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delighted in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's talking about, of course, the, uh, the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And so we'll continue with just verse 1. In two, in chapter two, in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, "Why does your heart look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart." We'll stop there. So last week, a vision was born, and we talked about the need to. Let God birth a vision in our own hearts. But here, as we pick up the story again, after the vision, what comes next? You know, uh, hopefully it's pretty obvious to you. The title for the, uh, the message today is Lift Up Your Eyes. What does Nehemiah do immediately after he gets this crazy dream that perhaps he could go back and lead the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilding the people, restoring the people spiritually. What does he do? Lift up your eyes. Here's the main point for today. Nothing great will ever be accomplished without prayer. Nothing great will ever be accomplished without prayer. What does Nehemiah do 
What's the first thing he does? He mourns, he fasts, and he prays. You know, it mentions that he first got this report, chapter 1, verse 1, in the month of Kislev. Of course, we all know when the month of Kislev is, right? Rob, you're from a Jewish background. Kislev. Okay, thank you for the pronunciation. Uh, do you know what month that is? It's the month of Kislev. Okay. Okay. Uh, sorry I spoke to him. In the Jewish calendar, that was a, a month that would have been around November, December. Then it says that some time passed, and it was actually the same year, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, in chapter 2, verse 1, the month of Nisan. I'm not going to ask Rob, but any of you know when uh, Nisan was? No, but good guess, Carly. Again, welcome back. So glad Carly is here. Rob, not so much. But now Nissan was uh, March or April. So there's four months have passed. Four months now since Nehemiah grabbed this dream, burning on his heart, this crazy vision that he could do something. What has he been doing for four months? Good answer, Carly. You didn't say it? Would you like to get the right answer? What's he doing, Carly? What's he doing for four months? I'm giving you a chance now. Fasting and praying. Praying, yes. Thank you, Brandon, for helping out. Nothing great accomplishes without prayer. This task was much larger. And perhaps you need to understand and I need to understand that our vision and our spiritual dreams are much bigger than we are. And they're never going to be accomplished unless we first take them to God. As we became, become people of prayer. You know, prayer is a very common theme in Nehemiah. As you go through there, if you've ever read it. But we will read as we go, 12 different times prayer is mentioned. Chapter 1, we have this record of this great prayer that Nehemiah prays. Prayer is mentioned in chapter 2. Prayer is mentioned in chapter 4 twice. Chapter 5, chapter 6 twice. Chapter 9, and then chapter 13, which is the last chapter, it's mentioned four times. Nehemiah begins and ends with prayer. Why is prayer so important? Hopefully there's parts of this that are very obvious to you. Because prayer is where we find the power for our spiritual dreams to be accomplished. Have you figured out yet that there's nothing great that you're going to accomplish spiritually without God's power and without prayer? It's not only that, though. I think praying about your dream over a period of time gives it time to uh, to marinate. 
to refine itself. I asked you last week to come up with a dream page, but and maybe you've already done that and we'll keep talking about that. And maybe I'll share a little bit more of my dreams today. But, you know, it's important that not every idea that you get is actually a good one. Have you figured that out yet? And so it's great when you feel like perhaps God has put something on my heart that I want to do. But don't be in a big rush. You don't necessarily need to go out the next day or the next week and do anything. But the thing you do need to do is you need to pray. And you need to put it before God and you let let God have a say. And let God, over time, I have found that he confirms our vision. Or he actually... Let's us know in the own, his own way that he's able to do that, that perhaps this is not the vision he wants you to have. You know, Mary Kay mentioned to me last week, I shared some of my fulfilled dreams. And they were all things that I prayed a lot about. And I only shared the, uh, the success stories. Right? Mary Kay, being the wonderful wife that she is, I asked her about the sermon, Curtis, when I got home. Which sometimes I'm brave enough to do. Not every week. But she was very positive. But she said, you know, perhaps you should also share some of the dreams you have that didn't work out. And I'll share a little bit about that today. One of them was early on in our ministry, we had this dream of going to a a foreign country, going overseas to plant a church. And we actually went so far as to go with a group of people to uh, to Germany. And we were there for 10 days. And the idea was to scout out the land and, you know, reaffirm this vision and, you know, get ready to get a team of people that we were going to lead to go over there and share the gospel in Germany. Nothing that happened there made me think that I should do that. I don't know how to say it. One thing that happened is that Mary Kay and I argued almost the entire trip. Do you remember that, Mary Kay? You don't. Anyway, you know, I I can't really explain it other than the the arguing, which, well, I won't go any further on that. But anyway, uh, I can just tell you that we... We went there expecting something, and then I, it wasn't like I heard an audible voice of God. It wasn't something that, you know, like that that happened. But I just, I came back, and almost immediately we came back, you know, this is not, this is not for us. Somebody needs to go. And thank God somebody did. But it wasn't, it didn't pan out. We need to pray about things, because sometimes... Maybe there's something about your vision that's good, but God wants to refine it. He wants to evolve it. Sometimes we need, we need time to pray to, to prepare for what we need to do and to come up with a plan. God needs to give us a plan, right? Now, it turns out you see it in the very last part of the prayer. And I believe this prayer that's recorded here in chapter 1 was four months It was right before he went to see the king. He has decided now his plan. It took him four months to get it. But he's going to, we're going to, again, spoiler alert, 
he's going to go. He's there tasting the king's food and all that. He's going to go before the king and he's going to make this audacious request to king. I know I'm a slave and I know I have an important job. At least you think it's important. I know I'm, I'm here, but I want to go back. I want to go back and lead my people back and I want to build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and I really want to rebuild the, the spiritual condition of my people. Initially, he just knew he had a dream of something getting done and him helping out, but so we're going to see there's a practical part. But it took four months. Sometimes we have great dreams and they're God's dreams. But we're not ready yet. You ever had that figure out in that in your life? The whole thing is, you know, this thing about God's timing. Sometimes it's not very, it's, it's very upsetting. But God has no problem because he loves us. Of telling us we need to wait. Your dream is good, but the time isn't right. You remember the story of Moses? Maybe you do in the Old Testament. Moses was a Jew and sort of similar. He grew up in, uh, is in Egypt, grew up in the household of Pharaoh. But yet he got this dream that he was going to uh, deliver his people, God's people. So you know what he did when he was about 40 years old? He went out and killed an Egyptian one day. Now, I don't know how long he thought it was going to take killing the Egyptians one at a time. But, you know, that wasn't the plan of God. But God had put that dream on his heart. Forty years later, he sent him out into the desert for 40 years. Go back and read the story. And then he says, now, Moses. Now you're ready to do something. The next 40 years he spent leading the people out, taking them across the desert to the promised land. Somebody told me one time, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody. During, you know, when he grew up in Pharaoh's household. Spent the next 40 years finding out he was a nobody. He spent the last 40 years of his life figuring out what God could do with a nobody. We have to respect God's wisdom and God's timing. But it's got to be prayed about. You know, there's so many lessons on prayer here. This prayer, many would say, that begins in verse 5 to the end of the chapter, is one of the best examples of prayer in the Bible. And I think maybe it's good to ask yourself, does this look like my prayer life? It's a great prayer. There's some things that we learn about prayer here. He starts out, I think we can learn God's character needs to be praised. That should be a part of our prayer life. It should be that way on an, uh, on an ongoing basis. How does he start? Great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. It's clear that he has a picture of God and a view of God. That God is concerned about his people. That in spite of what's going on, he still loves them. And he's great and he's awesome and he's powerful. 
God's character is to be praised. God's discipline is to be accepted. Do you see that in the prayer? You know, when things are not going well, how many of you can relate to this? My tendency is to blame God. Should I say it out loud? Resent God. Bitter toward God. God, I know I messed up, but why this? The people have been in disgrace for 140 years. How many more years does it have to be, God? You know, perhaps there were a lot of people in a lot of the Jews. You know, in Persia or Babylon or even back in the... They just... They gave up. They just assumed, you know, I don't know if they were bitter. I don't know if they were angry. I just don't know if they just assumed this is the way it's going to be the rest of uh, the rest of history. We're just going to be in trouble and disgrace. We're never going to be great people of God again. We're never going to do great things again. But you see what Nehemiah does? He takes the response. God's discipline is accepted. Nehemiah says, I know why we're in this place. It's because of things, it's my parents' fault. Do you realize, of course, that when this discipline came upon the people, Nehemiah hadn't even been born yet. Do you know what he does? He humbly, and he even says himself, I've sinned. My people have sinned. Past, present. You know, that's a good place to start. If you want to do great things for God, you need to pray and you need to purify yourself. You need to look closely at yourself to see if there's sin that you need to repent of. Because God is gracious and He works in spite of our sin. On an ongoing basis, but if you've got unrepentant sin in your life and stuff you know is bad and you're just refusing stubbornly, rebelliously to deal with it, then I'm not sure what kind of hope you have that God's going to do something great with your life. But Nehemiah, he's, he accepts God's discipline on himself and his people. And then we see in his prayer that there's promises to be claimed. Do you see what he does there? Maybe next week or in the future, I'll read them to you. There are literally dozens of scriptures from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first part of the books of the Old Testament, where God says, there's going to come a time, and you're going to mess up, and it's prophetic, and you're going to be exiled, and you're going to be punished, and you're going to be disciplined because you aren't faithful to me, and you're worshiping other gods, and you're becoming just like the people around you. But every time he says that, he goes, but no matter where you are, and how far away you are, and how long you've been there, if you repent, and if you turn to me, I will bring you home. I will restore the fortunes of my people. And he quotes there, and it's not just, he says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Many times in many different ways, God has told them this. Had everybody else forgotten about that promise? Maybe so. Had people stopped believing the promise? 
Maybe so. But Nehemiah came and he said, I claim the promises, God, that you made to us. And I know you still care. And I know you still love us. And I know you still have a vision. And I know it's been bad. I know it's been terrible. I know it's terrible right now. I know it's been that way a long time. I know I've been gone a long time. They were a long ways away. They were 1,600. He was in Persia, 1,600 miles away. Now, you know, driving 1,600 miles is, is a tough drive, even if you've got a Jaguar. Try taking that journey on camels. You know, I'm just thinking there were some people with some sore rear ends. But anyway, um, I'm sorry I didn't put that in my notes. It just occurred to me. You know, but Nehemiah said, you know, I'm not accepting things the way they are. I know who you are, God. See, this is the thing you got to do. You got to pray, but you need to have a healthy view of who God is. Nehemiah says God is to be praised, his discipline is to be accepted, and his promises are to be claimed. And then he closed out his prayer with one specific request that's recorded here. Going to go talk to this guy, this king. And I want you to, God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to. I want, I want you to help. I want him to say yes to what I've planned. And the story goes on. What are your dreams? You know, you don't have to rush, but I'm going to give you the same assignment I did last week. Come up with your own dream page. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's more things. But here's what you need to do. Commit to pray about it every day. That's where you got to begin. You know, uh, I wrote out my dream page in the last week. And uh, here it is. Can you all read that? What's wrong with you, Kevin? You, you, you're wearing glasses. You need to go back and get those glasses Improved. Now I got, uh, this is my dream page, January 2016. There are five dreams on here. And uh, so I'm not going to try, I shared one of them with you last week. The first one was, my vision is our church will become younger, reaching more people under 30. And by the way, I didn't mention it last week, but that's why several years ago, Marty Fuquay and I stepped aside and we said, Rafael Lua, we want you to lead this region. Because we had a vision of the church getting younger. The torch needs to be passed. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and I'll give you my second one. You've got to keep coming back if you want to hear the rest. <laughs> See, I've learned something. I've learned something. I've got, got to put a little teaser out there. You give them all the information they don't come back, Rob. You should remember that next time you speak publicly. So here's the uh, here's the next one I'll share with you. And, uh, and I'll let you come back. Vision is to get younger. Here's the other one that a lot of you would know already. But it's personal, but I will share it with you. 
So if you choose to pray about it, you can. My vision is that Mary Kay and I can become partially or fully self-supporting in the next five years. Some of you know that already. I don't want to retire. I don't want to stop working. I don't want to go anywhere. You're all supposed to say good now, okay? You're supposed to rock us cheering. No, but I want to get myself, I want to get us in a financial position. I don't want to stop working. I want to stop getting paid. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And I want you to be able to take that money that you were paying me and hire somebody who's younger than me who I could pass the torch to. But I'm not planning on going anywhere. I'm not dropping the mic and walking off the stage, just so you'll know. My dream is not to go anywhere. I will see what God said, but I, I want to become partially or fully self-supporting in the next five years. A lot of you know, we've made a lot of lifestyle changes. Mary Kay and I moved into an apartment in Pasadena. You know, we're empty nesters now. Why? Because we're trying to save money and downsize and make our life simpler. Why are we doing that? Because of our vision for the church. Because of what we want to see happen in the future here. And right now we don't have enough money to hire younger people. So for right now, at least you're stuck with us. You're going to have to start giving more if you want more. Uh, if you want somebody else. But anyway. That's another story for another day, right? No, but that's another, that's a personal vision. I don't, I don't know, you know, we'll see whether God confirms that. I've had that dream for a couple of years now. We've been working on it in a couple of years. I actually think it's possible. I think it's possible. I mean, we have financial planners helping us. We have many of you giving advice and helping us. We're, we're just trying to simplify our life and, Keep all our children out of our apartment. They're welcome to visit, but they're no longer welcome to live there. That's worked out good. David is launched, you know. I mean, he went on his crazy road trip, and now he's he's paying his own way. He's working his way through school. He's a part-time student at Glendale City College, and you know, he's a great kid. He's figuring it out. All my kids are great kids. Don't make me say it again. No, I, you know, I'm like all the parents in here. I, I love my kids and they're all different. But, you know, here's the thing. So that's that's another dream that I have. But you know, those five things that are on my dream page. I'm going to put them up in a prominent place in my home, in my in my study where I read my Bible and pray. And I'm going to pray about those every day. And we're going to see what God does. We're going to see what God does. You need to come up with your own dream page, and you need to pray about it every day. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the example of Nehemiah, who began where we all should begin, and that's in prayer. He continued in prayer. Thank you for this great story. Thank you for the opportunity to have a vision and build something, rebuild something in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to put it before you and to pray and Enable you to uh, empower us, to guide us, to steer us, and to bless us. You're a great and awesome God. You love your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Have a great rest of the day.